0: Attention all personnel, incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters.
1: Welcome to MASH Matters, where we discuss all matters regarding MASH because MASH still matters. <laughs> I'm Ryan Patrick, and he is Jeff Maxwell. Hello, Jeff.
0: Hey, Ryan. How are you? It's great to hear you. It's great to talk to you. I hope you're healthy and well, and you wash your hands, and you're wearing your mask. Uh, I'm wearing my mask. I have my mask on. Yeah. I've chosen to be uh, Sylvester Stallone, so I have the Sylvester Stallone mask on. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) The kids in the
1: neighborhood just enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I figure that you have spent a lot of time in masks in many OR scenes throughout the years, so you're probably used to wearing a mask.
0: I wish I'd said that. You're right. I didn't even think about that. I was in the OR a lot, and I did have those masks on. They were kind of a pain in the neck because you get kind of sweaty, and it gets mucousy in there. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of didn't like it, and I used to take it off as much as possible. But yeah, well, that's true. I am an experienced mask user.
1: I wore my mask for the first time the other day. went to the grocery store and wore the mask, and it is so strange to walk around wearing a mask. Yeah. I am ready for this thing to be over so I can go maskless.
0: Can you say that on a podcast, maskless?
1: (laughs) I just did. You did. (laughs) We all hope that you are doing well wherever you are and however you're listening to MASH Matters. Thank you for all your emails and voicemails. We're going to get to a lot of them today. We have uh, so many messages coming in. But before we do that, Jeff, back earlier this month, we lost another member of the mash family timothy brown also known as timmy brown passed away on april 4th at the age of 82 now many sports fans remember timmy brown as a running back in the nfl he was in the nfl for 10 years played for the packers the eagles and the colts in fact he was the first player to return two kickoffs for touchdowns in the same game wow That happened in 1966. Then after he retired from sports, he went into acting. Actually, he started acting when he was still a football player. He appeared in an episode of the old TV show, The Wild Wild West. Then he went on to have roles in films like Robert Altman's MASH and Nashville. He also was on TV in Adam 12 and Mary Tyler Moore Show and other appearances. Now, in the film version of MASH, he played Corporal Judson. But in the TV series, he played Captain Oliver Jones, who also had the unfortunate name of Spearchucker Jones, And uh, he was, I believe, in just six episodes of MASH in season one. And then, poof, he disappeared. And many stories circulate about why that is. But I think the most widely known story is one that you're very familiar with, Jeff.
0: Well, uh, as I learned and as I was told, I hope it's true, or I think it's true, is that the character was not continued, wasn't picked up because there were no African-American surgeons in the army. Mm-hmm. So that was inaccurate. So they wouldn't do it. And uh, what a bummer and what an uh, unfortunate situation. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah, they had to be accurate. And so unfortunately he was gone.
1: Now you two were not on the show at the same time, correct?
0: We were not. He was on season one. I didn't show up until season two. So I never met him, didn't know him.
1: Well, uh, you know, once you're in the MASH family though, you're always a member of the MASH family. So uh, sure are. we mourn the passing of Timothy Brown at the age of 82. Yep. So we had a lot of listener comments and messages and voicemails and emails come in, and we're just going to dive in and crank through a bunch of these uh, because they just keep piling up. And, hey, we want them to pile up. We love hearing from you. We love getting these questions. We love hearing your voicemail. So keep them coming. Yeah, please. The first one comes from Gabrielle Fortier, and uh, she says, hey, Ryan and Jeff, I think I have the answer about Jeff being in the bug out episode. I looked at my book tv's mash the ultimate guidebook and looked up the episode in question on page 342 jeff's name is listed in the non-credited appearances with the name salkowitz in parentheses so according to the book that was jeff digging the latrine i hope this helps keep up the great work love you guys (laughs) so this goes back before gary bergoff where we were talking about was that you in the latrine you've even kind of flip-flopped and wondered if it was you and not you (laughs) i did I, I'm still flip-flopping.
0: I'm still doing research because <laughs> a lot of people want to put me in a latrine and I'm not so crazy about that idea. So I'm still trying to get out of that latrine <laughs> right. and I will continue to do research. And if I find that indeed it was not me, I will uh, let everyone know, including myself. Okay, uh, It's possible. It does. I have to admit, it does look like me. I get the funny little E. It does. It does. But there was another guy who used to do the same thing in every once in a while he was there and they'd call him Salkowitz, I think. So I don't know. I'm still working on that. One. Okay. I'm not a hundred percent. I'm about 84, but I'm not hundred percent. All right. I'd like to get out of the train, frankly, but anyway. <laughs> we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, breaking note, <laughs> Latrine or not Latrine? All right. And JD Blair from Twitter says, uh, listening to episode n- uh, nine, Adam's ribs, uh, the question was, what are you doing while you're... Oh, okay. I'm sorry. He was listening to our episode nine, Adam's Ribs, um, about Adam's Ribs. Am I saying those things correctly? <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> okay. The question was, <laughs> what are you doing while you're listening to Mash Matters? Okay. So he says, I play video games with the game volume down all the way and just the soothing sounds of Jeff and Ryan. <laughs> Oh, is that cool or what?
1: (laughs) Soothing? Really? Hmm. There are a lot of adjectives that spring to mind, and soothing is way down on the list.
0: I I wouldn't have sprung to soothing, but hey, (laughs) Shady Blair, thank you. Uh, Yeah, if we soothe you, thank you. We'll we'll continue to try and do so.
1: AJ Gall, she wrote in and said, Hey, I've got a bit of a random question, but did Igor have a hometown? Hmm. I ask because I collect postcards, and I'm currently collecting cards of the main and supporting characters' hometowns. Yes. I know I will hit a snag when it comes to Hawkeye. So, Jeff, we don't know a lot about Igor's real life. We know that you worked on the stun line at the slaughterhouse at one point. <laughs> You had a girlfriend and a wife, and we know that in the last episode, you said you were going to go back and be a pig farmer, yeah. but little else is known about Igor Straminsky. So do you know, did Igor have a hometown?
0: Uh, in my head, Igor was from Wisconsin. Really? Yes. Why? I don't know. I just picked it one day <laughs> and said, oh, well, Igor's from Wisconsin. Why not? Nice place. I have friends there. It's pleasant. And, uh, you know, he might have understood about farming. There is some farming in uh, Wisconsin. There's a lot of cheese. So <laughs> I just picked it. So, yes, <laughs> Igor was from Wisconsin. I would say Madison, but Madison more of a, a collegiate town. So there's another, I uh, can't remember, the, there's another little town in Wisconsin. I can't remember the name, but that's where Igor is from, that, that little town in Wisconsin. <laughs> and on to Russ Miner's. Hi, Jeff and Ryan. I've been meaning to get in contact with you over the last few weeks, but like a lot of things, this got sidelined with the omnipresent news of the coronavirus. However, I just wanted to say how much I love the podcast, having only really discovered it a few months ago. I'm typing this from my home office here in South Wales, United Kingdom, Mm -hmm. and like thousands of MASH fans around the world watching episodes currently on our Sony Network channel, together with my regular dips into the full DVD box set, helps alleviate some of the worries from the news, and really makes me feel almost a part of the MASH family. Well, that's very nice. Your podcasts boost things even further, and I just want to say a personal thank you to the both of you for all the effort you put into making this accessible to all us fans wherever we might be. Being in the UK, I have never had the opportunity to meet any of the cast Well, hey, fly Ryan and I over. What the heck? As soon as they lift all this corona stuff, we'll fly over. We get first class round trip, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even chartered. That would be even better, wouldn't it? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So you you get to meet a member of the cast. Uh, But for those who listen to you themselves, of those cast members as well, please pass on my thanks to all that they have meant and do mean. To make the world a brighter place. Thanks again for your great podcast and keep up the good work. Russ Miners. Thank you, Russ. That's really nice. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah,
1: thank you, Russ. Nice to hear from the UK. We also received another email from Steve Dowd in the UK thanking us for the podcast and these uh, challenging times. Great. He,
0: he, and, uh, he and Russ can get together and pay for the uh, round trip uh, chartered flight. Uh, <laughs> I promise, we we get there, I will make a big pot of creamed weenies. All right? I promise.
1: Do they have to supply the cream and the weenies too? I guess we can't probably take those on the plane, can we? You cannot do that. TSA
0: would not let us do that. <laughs>
1: hey, we have several voicemails this week. Let's get to the first one. This is from Robin Ann.
2: Hi, Jeff and Ryan. My name is Robin Ann, and I'm calling you from New Brunswick, Canada. I first heard about your podcast about 10 weeks ago and was instantly captivated. I wanted to wait until I'd listened to the entire series before contacting you to express my gratitude. I was 10 years old when MASH hit the airwaves, and I believe I started watching it when CBS began airing repeats in the afternoons a few years later. My high school best friend and I met in 1977 and bonded over the show. She was from Western Canada, and her family had moved to the Toronto area where I lived, and they stayed there for only three years. So we have not lived in the same province for 40 years, but we've remained steadfast friends and still address each other as Hawk, that's her, and Trap, that's me. After discovering the series in repeats, I started watching the weekly broadcasts in real time, and I clearly remember laughing and crying through goodbye, farewell, and amen. Television simply doesn't get better than that. Your podcast has rekindled my love of the show, to the point that a few weeks ago I ordered the box set and it arrived a week later. The timing couldn't have been better, because during the stressful time of COVID-19, I really need something to laugh about. Between starting right at episode one of the series and binging the last 15 episodes of your podcast in the past 10 days, I can say that I've giggled quite a bit. You, Jeff and Ryan, crack me up, and I feel like I'm listening to a couple of old friends. And I don't just mean that you guys seem like your old friends, but rather I feel like you two guys are old friends of mine. All that in just 10 weeks. There are so many things that you guys have talked about that I could comment on but the only thing I'm going to address is episode 28. Jeff, your distress over what happened was palpable, and I'm so sorry you had to experience it. You said you hoped revealing the reason for being overdubbed was not anticlimactic, and I would say au contraire. It was far more serious and emotional than what I expected to hear, and I feel a bit like a voyeur for having listened to your story. So thank you for sharing, and please know that you have my deepest respect and affection. I'm sure there are many others who feel the same way. Guys, once again, thank you for your hard work and for keeping your many, many, not four, but many listeners entertained. I hope you and your families are safe and remain healthy. Here's looking up your old address. Bye.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's very nice, Robin Ann. Wow. Thank you. Very good. As a matter of fact, I think she should come over and read to me every night. Just read something.
1: Now, she has a very soothing voice. Absolutely. Yes.
0: There was soothingness going on there while I was listening. Mm -hmm. I I am now in a puddle of soothed goo. That was so sweet and so nice, and and, and it was presented so beautifully. Thank you. That was great. Can you say
1: soothed goo on a podcast? I just did. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you for your voicemail. And uh, we have a couple of more voicemails coming up here later on in this episode. But right now, getting back to these messages, this one coming in from Chris Vandergriff. Chris says, I just found your podcast after Kelly's passing and found great joy in listening to your interview with her. I've since listened to every episode and I love the whole show. My only wish is that the episodes were available in feel around technology. (laughs) Kentucky Fried Movie was one of my favorite (laughs) movies. And the shock when I realized Private Straminsky was the dude in the theater was palpable. Keep rocking out, y'all. You're doing great. Thank you, Chris. Now, I knew what Chris was talking about. Obviously, you know what Chris is talking about. But for the uninformed, maybe the folks who have not yet enjoyed the cinematic treasure that is Kentucky Fried Movie, (laughs) can you explain what feel around technology is?
0: Yes. Well, Kentucky Fried Movie was a kind of a low budget film made several years ago, directed by my old pal John Landis. John Landis and I used to be male boys together at 20th Century Fox (laughs) when we would run amok as young kids around the studio. Uh, He became a very, very uh, well-known and uh, distinguished director, uh, having made tons of money (laughs) from huge hits, uh, deservedly so. Yeah. And uh, he came to me one day on the set and said, hey, I'm doing this movie. I got this movie thing and it's uh, created by the Zucker brothers that are out here from Wisconsin. Uh, and they're doing a show called the Kentucky Fried Theater and they've decided to make a movie about it. and I'm going to be the director. Go, hey, great, John. Terrific. And he said, yeah, there's a sketch in it that I'd like you to do. Uh, would you do it? I said, well, I don't know. What is it? So I read it, and I thought it was really funny. And uh, I loved John, and I thought, hey, we'll have a good time. What the heck? So we shot it, and it was a segment where a fellow goes into a movie theater and sits down in the theater, and everybody who's sitting in the theater has somebody, kind of an usher type, standing behind them. And as the dialogue in the movie plays, the person who's standing behind the theater goer physically... Does what the dialogue is saying on the screen. <laughs> so if they say, I'm going to slap your face, the guy behind the, the theater goer slaps the theater goer's face, and so forth and so on. <laughs> It was a very funny sketch. I had no dialogue except in the very beginning when I go into the theater. But I just sat there and tried to (laughs) react to the terrible things that were happening to me. It's funny. It was really funny. It took 12 and a half hours to shoot. It was shot in a theater in Pasadena that's still there. Wow. In fact, they're refurbishing it as we speak. And it was a lot of fun, really messy, but a lot of fun to do. (laughs) And Chris, I'm making your day. I have sent a portion of your email uh, where you um, talk about feel around technology and the Kentucky Fried movie being one of your favorites. I sent that no more than a half an hour ago to John Landis for his viewing. So there you go. You're now being read by uh, John Landis, a very
1: famous, uh, world famous director. John Landis, for those of you who aren't familiar, John Landis, right after he directed Kentucky Fried Movie, he went on to direct a little movie called Animal House. Yeah. And then after that, The Blues Brothers and Mm -hmm. An American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, Into the Night, Spies Like Us, my wife's favorite movie, one of her favorite movies, The three amigos yeah. a movie i love oscar uh starring uh, that guy on your mask sylvester stallone you're the one yeah <laughs> i loved oscar i loved, I loved it, it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's that's awesome. That is awesome. And uh, by the way, uh, you can find that scene from Kentucky Fried Movie on YouTube, and I will put a link to that in the show notes. So if you haven't yet seen Feel Around Technology from Kentucky Fried Movie, just go to MashMattersPodcast.com and look for the show notes for this episode and you can watch it. It is a delight.
0: Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, from Steve Robinson. Hi, Steve. Jeff and Ryan, although I have only been able to listen to parts of the podcast, I love it and will try to catch more when I have more time. Well, you have a lot of time now, Steve. What are you doing? You can't do anything anyway, so start listening for gosh sakes. Thought you might find interesting. I wanted to be a writer when I was younger and submitted a few treatments but was turned down because I didn't go through an agent, the usual procedure. I received two letters explaining my treatments couldn't be used, one from Thad Mumford and one from Alan Alda. It was a thrill to get such letters, even if it was bad news. Keep up the good work. Thank you. That's Steve from uh, Normal, Illinois. Oh, okay. Uh, Do you know where Normal, Illinois
1: is? Yes, Normal, Illinois is up in uh, Henry Blake territory, up in the uh, Champaign-Urbana area. Uh, I live down in the southern tip of Illinois. He lives more upstate in the northern part of central Illinois.
0: We'll go up there. Maybe he'll buy a barbecue or something. Maybe Steve can fly over to London with us, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. love to have them. By the way, you know he he cites uh, uh, something that is repeated by thousands of people and has been for a long long time where people feel that they can write scripts or screenplays or whatever and they send unsolicited material to production companies or to producers. and normally, unless you happen to know the person you're sending it to and they trust you and they know who you are, normally they're rejected and they're not rejected because they're no good or because the people don't like who you are, they're normally rejected out of legal reasons. Studios, producers, production entities, and so forth are notoriously frightened of getting sued. Hmm. So if you're a production company or you're a producer and I send you uh, a treatment for an idea about a, a giant monster who roams around and, and steps on buildings and become, breathes fire out of his nose. That would never work. <laughs> I I made it up. I mean, it's not real. It's a stupid idea.
1: Write that down and submit that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And so if I send you this idea and you as the production entity read it, uh, and then you write a letter back to me saying, Hey, thanks for sending the thing about the monster, but nobody's going to believe it. Thanks anyway. Goodbye. And I went, ah, gee, I thought it was a good idea. Okay. And then a year and a half later, you see from that producer or that production company a story that has even a hint of what you wrote in it. You are going to sue the pants off of them for stealing your idea. Mm -hmm. So that's why people are so uh, nervous. And don't want to read stuff that isn't submitted through agents because they trust that the agent has vetted these writers. They know nobody's going to sue them. Although they still could get sued, but it still cuts down, you know, the probability and their vulnerability by using uh, an agency situation or a personal relationship situation to read the material. So kind of that's what happened. Also, the you know. Production company that was creating and producing MASH episodes were paying really good writers a lot of money (laughs) to come up with ideas. Uh, So, using outside ideas, unless it was a decided, well, let's look at a few things. It would never have happened because they were, they had people on the payroll to do it. So those two reasons, that's why the gatekeepers like agents and things, that's why they're hard to get through. You can eventually, if you keep trying and banging on doors and saying, please, 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 and coming up with creative ideas to get to know people, networking with various people to go, you know, hopefully they will help you. You know, give material to somebody. You can do it, but that's kind of what happened, Steve.
1: I, I find it interesting too that he received letters back from Thad Mumford and Alan Alda saying, "Here's why we couldn't use your treatments." Yeah, yeah. You, I can't imagine that that happens at that level these days. They probably stole his ideas. You know, I they
0: said, "Hey, that's pretty good." We'll just tell them no, and right? No, you're you're right. Uh, Thad Mumford was a terrific guy, and Alan All is a terrific man. So I, you know, these are very dignified, nice people. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew how much passion uh, you have to go through to to create these ideas and send them. So I'm sure they were being courteous and dignified by doing that. It speaks to those people really who did that pretty cool.
1: Yes, it does. All right, let's go back to the phones. Here's Ron.
2: Jeff, Ryan, my name is Ron. Uh, I just finished watching the Gary uh, Berthoff interview on the computer and really enjoyed it. I was going to write you a letter, but we'll have to communicate electronically during this time of strife and everything because I wouldn't want to lick the envelope or anything and then send it to you guys. <laughs> but uh, So I'll send you an email. I was in the army for four years and started watching MASH when it first came out and really enjoyed it. And I just love this now. And all of a sudden, they took it off of MeTV. And I was watching four episodes or six in a row. And now they're doing something else on MeTV. So call those people up. Tell them to put MASH back on. Good talking to you guys. Keep up the good work. Bye. lick the end yeah i I agree i wouldn't want
0: to lick any envelopes today either right yeah (laughs) hang on wait hey me tv put mash back on okay (laughs) all
1: right (laughs) okay Yeah, I don't know why MeTV took it off. Uh, you know, it was a popular show on there. I noticed that it's not running as much, if at all, on uh, Sundance anymore. I, hmm. It's like all of a sudden, MASH just kind of disappeared from some of the channels where it was playing all the time. And I know that there are contracts, you know, syndication and, yeah. and you know, they, they have contracts for a certain amount of time that they're going to play the show on the air. But it seemed like it all stopped all at once. So I don't know what happened there. It's still, of course, streaming on Hulu as of right now. And you can still find it on uh dvd the dvd box set and you know i think that there are still some random tv channels that that show it here and there but a lot of them just stop playing it and i don't know why i'm wondering and this is way beyond my pay scale but
0: I'm wondering, during the acquisition of much of 20th Century Fox by Disney, hmm. if any of that plays into that, those dynamics, I, I don't know. Could be. Could be. You know, Various companies own other companies, and they go, well, I don't want that company to have whatever we doing. We're going to do this. So who knows? I, it may or may not.
1: Just guessing. And I'm hoping that that means that maybe this is just a temporary lull with it being on TV, and hopefully it would be back playing all the time once again in some form or fashion on another network very soon. Yeah. So that uh, people who don't have Hulu, people who don't have the DVDs still have the recommended daily allowance of MASH. <laughs> yeah.
0: I had Hulu once, and I had some ointment, and it took it right away over a couple of weeks, and it was gone. so there is hope for us out there. I
1: could never get the hoop to go completely around it would I would get it like halfway and then it would fall to the ground. I could never get it to go all the way around. You
0: were too greased up it wasn't it wouldn't like cling.
1: It was that soothing goo that I had around me All right, moving on um okay. Uh, Hey, guys, I am a 26, almost 27 year old girl in the Coast Guard, and I'm actually a CS, a culinary specialist. Mm. So in the last couple of years, I've been understanding Igor's character more and more. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) She says, I was curious. I'm aware of some of the guys being veterans, but it was curious as to how many actors and who on MASH served in the military. I also want to thank you for this podcast and being a part of the best show that I continue to relate to. Seems like every new chapter in my life, I find a cool way to love the show even more. Much love from this coastie, Jen Arnold, or also referred to as CS3 Arnold in the Coast Guard. So thank you, CS3. Yeah. And thank you for your service, too. Yes. Here's what I was able to find, and and Jeff, I don't know if you know any more, but I know Alan Aldo was in the military. He was in the Army Reserve for six months in Korea. Jamie Farr also enlisted, and he was stationed in Japan, but he then went on to perform form in the USO tour of Korea with Red Skelton. Wayne Rogers was a ship navigator in a short stint with the US Navy. And then Mike Farrell was also a uh, serviceman. He served in the US Marine Corps. So those are the ones I know of. Are you familiar with anybody else who had any military background who was on the show?
0: Uh, Loretta Swit, maybe I shouldn't say. Well, CIA, that's all I'm going to say.
1: Oh, really? CIA. Wow.
0: This is a scoop. Scoop. Yeah. Should yeah. we say this? We cannot say Loretta Swit was in the CIA. No. If we whisper it, it's okay, though, right? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So we can whisper that she was a CIA agent. Loretta Swit,
0: CIA agent extraordinaire. Yes. Shh. <laughs> yes. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. And we're back. Yeah. Hey, we're back. Hey, welcome to MASH Matters. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff Lawrence from Omaha, Nebraska says, hi, Ryan and Jeff. I have listened to every show and it has become a true exciting day when the new pod drops and I am able to get to listen. Want to thank you for deciding to do this. I've always enjoyed the shows that were shot on different locations other than the camp area, like Rosie's Bar on the bus or in a cave. Uh, it gave fresh perspective and so forth. I'm saying and so forth because my printer actually has left out certain words. <laughs> so I'm going to make <laughs> it up. So. Anyway, I he's saying it's always seemed to have an interesting plot in other places. Um, are there any of those episodes that stand out for Jeff from shooting? Or is there one a favorite one you enjoyed watching, Ryan? Okay, I'll tell you the one that I enjoyed. Ryan, you are going to have to tell me what episode it was because I don't know. It was the tug of war thing.
1: Yeah, that was... Was, uh, the episode Bulletin Board.
0: Bulletin Board. Okay, yes. there you go. That was fun. We we're all outside having a great time. It was dirty and filthy and, and a lot of fun to do. So that was my fun episode out of stage nine.
1: The two episodes that come to mind, and you mentioned Bus, Scott – I do like the episode, The Bus, which takes place entirely on the bus. The bus breaks down, and they break up and go out and try to find help, and Radar gets lost for a while, and then they find an injured Korean soldier and bring him onto the bus. I really liked that episode. If memory serves, it was one of those episodes, too, where if there was a laugh track, it was used very sparingly. Uh, The other one, when you mentioned Rosie's Bar, the episode A Night at Rosie's is a great episode because one at a time everybody from the 4077 ends up at Rosie's for the whole night and it's it's just a fun episode that's where we meet Scully for the first time who goes on to be you know a love interest of Margaret for a few episodes and we just get to see these characters in a different setting other than the 4077 so a night at Rosie's and the bus are my two that stand out that took place apart from the camp at the 4077
0: it was always fun to be in a different location it was kind of cool you got to see a different perspective of everybody's behavior because you behave a little bit differently when you're in a different room, <laughs> different
1: location. So it was a pretty cool. So I have a question. When you're on the stage, when you're on the sound stage, obviously you have the different set pieces there on the stage. You have the OR, you have the Swamp. When they would do something at Rosie's, would they have that set built specifically for that episode, or would there always be a section of the soundstage that was devoted to Rosie's?
0: What? (laughs) What was the question? Uh, Let me, (laughs) what are you saying? Now, you're asking me what, Ryan? You want to know whether or not... We got the set already built mm-hmm. or we got to
1: build a set for Rosie's Is
0: that is that what you-
1: would the set have to be rebuilt every time that Rosie's was needed for an episode
0: I believe it w- there were okay that's a great question on stage 9 all of the interiors for all of the things you saw on the show existed the exteriors existed in some form so that the camera could shoot outside the, the tent or whatever so that you could see it. But stage nine was the place where all the interiors were. The OR, everybody's tent, the mess tent. And there were times when there were certain locations uh, that they wanted to use that they would build temporarily on stage nine for that episode. So if you had a weird place that you normally wouldn't see, I think they would go into one of the tents or one of the other areas, and they'd build that interior for that set just for that episode. Okay. I don't think Rosie's was a permanent—I don't remember it being a permanent— Interior. Mm -hmm. So probably when they would go into the interior, they would build it for that episode. And then they may have kept it up for a few weeks, maybe thinking if they had a series of, you know, episodes that were going to take place in there, they may have left it there. But I don't think it was a permanent set on stage nine. Okay. You know, it was a long time ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember what I had for lunch last week, let alone, you know, yeah. the set piece from yeah. 35 years ago. Yeah, We have a, a voicemail here in just a moment where we talk about the outdoor set. But before we get to that, there's one more message I want to read because I, I love this. Al Gross, he sent us a message and said, We found MASH in high school and Tuttle was our favorite episode. So much so that we wrote a new student bio about Jonathan Tuttle for the school paper. Years later, when we couldn't find a sponsor for our softball team, We became Tuttle's Food and Spirits, (laughs) complete with jerseys. (laughs) Toward the end of the season, one of the opposing players asked where Tuttle's was. We made up a location and he said, oh yeah, I've been there. (laughs) We said, well, give them our name next time and they'll take care of you. Tuttle, what a guy. Love the podcast. Keep it up. That's Al Gross down in Nashville. Thank you, Al. I love, love, love that story. That's great. Jonathan Tuttle, still doing good in the world. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Thanks, Al. Alright, back to the phones. Our last voicemail. This one comes
3: from Carrie. Hi, my name is Carrie, and I'm calling from Northern California, and I'm actually uh, near LA right now, driving. And I'm listening to you guys, and I just visited the MASH set at Malibu Creek State Park this morning, and so it's appropriate to be listening to your podcast as I'm driving from there back to my friend's house in L.A., and I had a question about the MASH set. It is tiny when you get out there. Like, the helicopter pad is tiny. The set looks really, really, really small in person. How did they make it seem huge you know, because when you go there, you think, oh, it's going to be huge. And, you know, it's just, it just isn't. I I just don't know where everything was or how it all came together. And I was curious, like, trick camera work or, you know, you're on the helicopter pad and there's, like, that doesn't fit, like, two helicopters and a Jeep and an ambulance coming up with radar hanging off the side of it. And so I was curious about that. Like, how, how, how did a gift film? Do they move tents around? Um, I know that you had an indoor set as well that did a lot of the interior scenes, but I had absence since I'm on my way back from the set right now. Okay. Thank
1: you so much. All right. Thank you, Carrie. Cool. So we've talked about stage nine. Now let's talk about the ranch. Yeah. So she went, she visited, and she found everything to be much smaller than she expected. Can you speak to that?
0: Yes, I can. It is due to the photographic protocol. (laughs) When you have lenses on cameras, these lenses uh, tend to make all of the things that you shoot with those lenses look larger. Hmm. So that when you're watching on a television, it looks like a big place. But when you see it, it really wasn't as big as it looks on television. The perspective is different when you're seeing it live. And that'll happen if you go to a, even you go to a, a taping of a, of a live television show. Mm-hmm. When you get there and you're sitting in the audience, everything is a little teeny tiny. But when you're looking at it on television, it fills your screen. So it looks really big. It's, it's about the perspective and the process of something being photographed that will give you that sense. Now, at the ranch, have you ever been to the ranch? You know, I have not. And that's a bucket oh. list trip for me. I would love to go sometime. Yeah. You've got to come out here. We'll go. Let's do it. We'll bring our hot dogs. We'll go out. We'll roast some weenies. <laughs> we'll have a good time. Yeah. Everybody's listening. Come with us. Sure. What the heck? Everybody can come with it. <laughs> so the ranch. You know, the ranch burned down.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, fire went through that and burned a lot of the stuff. So they, they did outlines of the tents. And the last time I was there anyway, they, they made outlines of the tents and tape or whatever color so you could see where everything was. So because you're looking at, a, at some tape or a little sign, this is, this is where this tent is, you don't really get to see the, the expanse of the actual tent. So it's going to have a little bit of smaller look as well. And the helicopter pad was pretty big. I I don't know. Maybe they took some of it away or maybe some of it washed away. I don't know about that. I haven't been there for a million years, so I'm not sure. But I can tell you that when you photograph something and you look at it on television, you're looking at a huge picture of a thing. But when you're standing on that set... You're looking at a lot of things. And so the camera lenses and that perspective messes with your head a little bit, makes everything look small.
1: You know, it's true. I went to two tapings of The Tonight Show with Jay Leno Mm. on TV. That studio looked massive. But when you walk in, it's not. It's tiny. Yeah, you're in there and it's cramped, and and the musical act. If you're sitting over on the side where they do the music act, you're practically on top of the music act. Yeah, <laughs> you know when they're performing, it's amazing. But because of the different angles and the different things they can do with lenses, it just makes it look huge and it makes it look like the audience is thousands of people when really it's about 115. You know. Yeah, it's it's amazing what they can do. It's yeah. it really is. Yeah.
0: So that's it when you. You go out and you see actual sets um that's what happens it's a, it's a thing your 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 brain tricks your eyes by looking at it on television it seems so huge and the camera lenses make them look very very wide and expansive so those things in
1: combination give you that sense that everything is really big but it's
0: it's really not
1: <laughs> I, w- I wonder how many guys right now are going to amazon and typing in camera lenses that make things look bigger <laughs> And that wraps up this episode of MASH Matters. That's good. (laughs) As always, you can reach out to us, uh, mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook as well. And uh, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a five-star review and write a review there, and we'll be reading some of those coming up in the coming episodes. And we have some more big announcements on the horizon as well, yes. so stick around for that.
0: Very, very, very
1: exciting announcements. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting <laughs> Here's looking up your old address.